Thanks for tuning in to the weekly FBC Athens podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Kyle Henderson. If you have anything else you'd like to know about our church, feel free to check out our website, lovingtheworld.com. Enjoy the message. In a series about meeting Jesus again. Like if you could go back in time and remember what it was like to encounter the true Jesus for the first time. Lots of times what we encounter in the world is a false picture of Jesus that's been constructed by people. Lots of times in their own image, like Jesus likes the things that I like. Jesus would be on my side about this. Jesus wants it done a certain way. I mean, that's frequently what the world has seen about Jesus. It's what people have created. But if you could go back to the gospel story and to those moments when we really see Jesus as people then saw Jesus. I was thinking about that. This image will change each week. The outline is the same, but what's on the middle of it. So I picked a picture of a bunch of people. Uh, these are a bunch of people eating Ethiopian food. And uh, what you got to know about when you eat Ethiopian food is they have a big circle, uh, all the food's in the middle, and everybody's reaching their hands in the middle, and you're all eating this communal meal off this central plate, which if you hate germs, right, is bad, right, because you're just like freaked out by it, and it's all over you by the time you're done. And But I was remembering the first time I really had a meal like that. It was this really beautiful moment. I, I was studying uh, at, in Kenya. I was studying in Nairobi. And part of my research, I had a research assistant who took me to his home, which was out by Lake Victoria. So a 12-hour bus ride, a four-hour van ride, a two-hour hike. We get to his home. He didn't get to come very often, so all of his families gathered together. There's no electricity. We're in their one room where they lived, and there were just candles just see faces flickering in the light. And in the middle was this one, one pot. The meal was all in that pot. And everybody was laying around so that you get, get one hand to the pot and you could get something. And we were all eating. And I didn't have any idea what was going on. I couldn't understand. The, what, they were so excited to see each other. And I was just a fixture in the corner. But I was watching these people gather and love each other around this common food. And it was just one of the most holy moments, just to be welcomed into someone's home, to see them love one another. It's a really beautiful thing. Like if we can imagine those moments when somebody met Jesus for the very first time and they had an experience like that, And it's recorded for us in the scripture in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners 
Matthew, the, the guy who wrote this gospel, is likely this same Matthew. It doesn't directly tell us that, but this is what we believe. This is the moment that this guy whose life was radically altered, this is the moment that he meets Jesus. It says that Jesus is going along. He he'd left one thing. He was on his way for something else. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. He saw a real guy, an individual, a person. And Matthew had gotten up that day and gone to work. He was at work. And he'd probably gotten to that work over and over and over again. He had been there for a little while. When Jesus sees him in the middle of his life, and Jesus, it says, saw him, and he was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, if you're not from um, Israel in the first century, this phrase and this idea might be distant from you. And so I want to get you a little closer to it because when they tell us that, they're telling us something really, really significant. Where did he work? And what did he do? And what did that mean? About 50 years before Jesus, one of the most famous writers of the ancient world um, a Greek named Cicero, wrote about the world. He was a brilliant philosopher, and we quote him even today. Like, I like this quote by Cicero. I have always been of the opinion that unpopularity earned by doing what is right is not unpopularity at all, but glory. We quote him because he was a wise guy. But he wrote a document, and he wrote a document about work in the ancient world, and he wrote a document about what was good work and what was bad work. And in about 50 BC, Cicero wrote this. He says, now in regard to trades and other means of livelihood, which ones are to be considered becoming to a gentleman and which ones are vulgar? Which ones should be avoided? Which ones are horrible? Which ones are embarrassing? And this is what he says. Uh, first, those means of livelihood are rejected as undesirable, which incur people's ill will as those of tax gatherers and usurers. So the second word there, usurers, that's people that lend money and charge interest, which was against Jewish law, and we would just say bankers, right? So it's funny because we, we don't... I'm sorry, if you work for the IRS, I'm sorry. We don't like you, right? I mean, we, it, we have it in us, the tax man. It's like, ugh, we just don't like all that stuff, right? We still kind of have that feeling. But bankers, I mean, they're kind of respected lots of times, unless, of course, the saving of the loan industries, you know, tanking and they're, you know, taking too much money, right? And it's like, oh, you can see. Like in the ancient world, he said, like, these people are awful. Uh, the tax gatherers, usually how it was then, they didn't get a salary. They just charged people more than the tax was, and whatever they could get more, that's how they paid themselves. And so sometimes they cheated people, and they lied to people, and they stole from people, and so they were just awful. Now, he goes on. He lists a bunch of other jobs in the middle there, but at the very end, he says, the least respectable of all those trades, which cater for sensual pleasures, no, no, let's not you know what I mean, right? Those jobs, right? And fishmongers, butchers, cooks, poulterers, and fishermen. The bottom of the pile, the worst. So who did Jesus hang out with? Tax collectors and fishermen. Do you think Jesus knew that people generally didn't think much of these people? 
Like, I think Jesus did it on purpose. Like, he's trying to provoke. Now, Jesus knows what everybody thinks. And when Jesus wants to, to find the boogeyman, when he wants to find the enemy, and he thinks this is what everybody thinks, he's going to use tax collectors. He, like in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? He says, even the worst of people do that. He said, that's nothing, right? And then Jesus wants to tell a story about uh, self-righteousness and prayer, and he uses two examples. He uses the tax collectors and the Pharisees. And, and then what he does is he turns that one upside down because the Pharisee, who's the good guy in that sentence, and the tax collector, who's the bad guy, end up becoming opposites in the story. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He knows who he's talking to. Tax collectors were considered traitors. There was general hatred to them because they were collaborators with a foreign occupying force, the Romans, and they cooperated with the Romans. And we've seen collaborators all throughout history and, and how horrible people think about them if you've given in to the evil occupying force. They were collaborators. And they were unclean, that is, they dealt with Gentiles and other people all the time. So if you're trying to stay ceremonially clean, you couldn't be around these people because they mess that up all the time. Like, have you ever been somewhere and gotten a dollar bill and change, and when you touch it, you just went, because it's so nasty that you're like, I wonder how, where's this thing been? It's been wadded up in the bottom of some, and then people have used it to blow their nose with it. And I mean, it's just awful. Right? See, they were like that. It's like, I can't be around these people. They're dirty people, and they're Sabbath breakers. Now, for you and I, maybe you don't care too much about it if you work on Sunday. My dad worked on Sunday. He was a pilot. And he was all, you know. But in their world, what that meant, code was, they were shameless sinners. They sinned in front of everybody, and they didn't care what anybody thought. They were shameless sinners. So when it says here that Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. What should follow is, and Jesus came and he kicked dirt on him. Right? Jesus told him off. Jesus screamed at him. Said, you should stop doing that. Because that's what should follow that phrase. But that's not what Jesus does. In fact, Later, Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 11. He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Because a good friend sees that you are better than your worst moment. Because there couldn't have been a worse moment for Matthew. He's a traitor and dirty and opposing God openly. And that's the moment that Jesus chooses to take a step towards him. And Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, if I say follow me, it's usually because I know the directions and you don't. Right? I mean, that's about the way we use that. But when Jesus uses the term follow me, he's using the term in a really different way. When Jesus, the rabbi, the great teacher, said to Matthew, follow me, what he's asking Matthew to do, he says, I want you to leave the life that you are in, and I want you to join me and live with me and walk with me, and I want to invest in you, and I want to teach you, and I want to believe in you, and I believe that you could become like me. 
It'd be as if Harvard called you and said, hey, Kyle, we found out about you, and we think you'd be amazing, and we'd love for you to come and study with us, and we'd love to invest in you, and we'd love to promote you. We'd love to care about you. Would you come and study with us, and we'll pay for it? And like everybody would, maybe not everybody, lots of people would go, yeah, of course I would. When Jesus looks at Matthew and he says, follow me, he's inviting them to this whole new way to live that involved Jesus being with him. Like a lot of times when we see people and we're, we want them to do something different, we say, well, you, you should go do that. He's like, no, 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 I want to walk with you. Would you be with me? Let's be together. Because that's the kind of friend that Jesus was. He was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. In Mark, uh, Tom Rath's book, Vital Friends, he works for the Gallup organization. And in their studies in the Gallup organization, they said people that are the happiest people, happiest employees, the happiest churchgoers, the happiest community leaders are people that have friends. Go figure. Like they spent a million dollars to figure that out, right? You need friends. And they, in his book, he says, here are eight things that a friend can do for you. And he's got chapters, and this is a really beautiful book, and if you want to be a better friend and you want better friends, this would be a great book to look at. But notice what's not on here. Criticize me, tear me down, and tell me everything I'm doing wrong. This is not on there. This is not helpful. This is not the thing that God's calling you to do. But it's so often the thing we think we're supposed to be doing when we see somebody. You're at the tax collector's booth. Have you seen the tax collector? Can I tell you about the tax collector? It's like, they already know all that. What we're called to do is something different. So I want to be with you. In Mark chapter 12, they come to Jesus and they're telling him what they've observed. This teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Like I've heard people say, well, you can't hang out with sinners because then you might get a little of that sin on you. You might get a little of that stink on you and you got to stay way away from them. Jesus is like, I know what you're doing. I know who you are. I want to be with you. I don't care about any of that other stuff. I, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to change me. I'm who I am. And I love you for who you are. Come and follow me, Jesus says to him. Because a good friend invites you to a better life. Like, sometimes I haven't been a good friend. I have a reputation occasionally getting people in trouble. I never have really done that. But I have that reputation. Of, leading people to do the wrong thing. Maybe you've done that before. You've been in a group, and it had been easy for you to stand up for the truth, but what you did instead was you just fit right in, and you talked bad about somebody. You just gossiped about them. You just tore them down just a little bit, just enough to stay cool and in the conversation. You weren't a good friend. You didn't lift up, but a good friend invite you to a better life. Come, be with me, Jesus says. And then he went and hung out at Matthew's house. Verse 10, when Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Bring everybody, Matthew says. 
bring your disciples. I'm going to bring all my friends because I want my friends. I want all of you to meet Jesus. It's hard. Because sometimes when we find out bad things about people, our, our decision is to step away from them. I mean, you see somebody at a tax collector's booth, you should, you should take a couple of steps back. You shouldn't go over to their house. You shouldn't be seen with them. Do you know what they've done? Do you know who they are? We live in a really complicated world, don't we, in which we know an awful lot about people sometimes, and we know the good and we know the bad. I mean, a couple of weeks ago when Kobe Bryant passed away, I mean, there was so much of this kind of, I don't know where to be. I don't know if I can be on Team Kobe or not. I mean, he, he did some really awful and horrible things. He was not a person of character. He was a fantastic basketball player. And his later life, he began to change in who he was. I mean, it's like the complexity of trying to walk into life with people who are a mixture of good and ill. And what are you going to do about that? And Jesus knows all about that. And you know what the chance Jesus takes? He takes the chance to step towards broken people. We tend to stand on the outside and decide that the worst thing a person ever did is the thing that will always hold on. I got up this morning, and I haven't responded yet, but Brian Kelly, it says Brian Kelly's birthday is today. Now, some of you have been here for a while, might recognize Brian. He's the head of the Prison Entrepreneurship Program, PEP, we call it. And PEP, leg day's coming up in June, and we host a big group. We love these guys. I love Brian. A couple of years ago, we were trying to, we were thinking about doing a podcast. We went to record Brian, and I heard Brian tell the story of the guy he murdered. And it wasn't an accident. It was cold and calculated and horrible. I wonder about that guy's family, the victim's family. But I love Brian. I've met people that are like, well, we can't be with her, can't be around prisoners, can't be around those people. Like, what's the tax collector booth in your life that if everybody knew, they just might take a step away from you? Because they go, oh, have you seen that sin? Jesus, on seeing Matthew, says, I want to come, and I want to be at your house because a good friend loves you where you are, just exactly like you are. That's what love looks like. That's what Jesus looks like. That's what he asks us to be like. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? The, the people around, why, Jesus? Why would you do this? And he says, because... It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm going after the people that need love, not the people that are so filled with themselves they don't think they need anything, not the people that are self-righteous and feel like that they deserve to be with God. I'm going after the people who are broken by sin and need God. That's who I'm going after. I saw this on Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's like, do you remember as a little kid, when I was a little kid, you came to Valentine's, you had to bring a Valentine's for everybody in the class. But I don't want to. Do you know how bad they are? There were two or three kids in the class you didn't want to give a Valentine's to. And this is the first maybe lesson you ever learned. It was like, we like, no, 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 no. 
You're supposed to love everybody. Everybody deserves to be loved and really loved. Not conditional loving, not trying to figure out how to change them loving, but just loving. I love what Brendan Manning says in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. To evangelize a person is to say, you two are loved by God in the Lord Jesus. And not only to say it, but to really think it and relate it so that they can sense it. This is what it means to announce the good news. But that becomes possible only by offering the person your friendship, a friendship that is real, unselfish, without condescension, full of confidence, and profound esteem. That's what Jesus wants us to be like. Because a good friend's not looking for perfect people. A good friend's just looking for someone to love. And it asks the question, verse 13, but go and learn what this means. You, go, do this. Go learn what this means. Like, live it out. He says, because I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't want you to live a life of religious ritual and repetition. That's what he's using when he's using the term sacrifice here. That's not what God's interested in. God is interested in what? I desire mercy. I desire that your heart be so in tune with the people around you that you give to them love. But we're so about ourselves. I just, I, I just typed clicks in church and the amount of like just pages and pages and pages of response. Like this is one of the, the great hurts in the world and the church is that sometimes people come to church and the people there are not open and loving and embracing of them and they feel on the out even in church the one place that you ought to feel the love of Jesus completely challenges us all to say, are we doing enough to love one another? A good friend expands your life, gets you to not look at just the people that are easy to love, the ones that are like you, but to love everybody. And ask you the question, are you the friend of sinners?